Well, good morning, everyone. A very warm welcome to you this morning. Uh, if you're following along online or if you're here in the building, it's wonderful to have you with us as we gather to worship the Lord together. As the, uh, as the children go out, uh, let's just spend some time in prayer together, praying for mission, praying for the church family as well. Let's pray. Psalm 103 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Father God, we are amazed at your loving compassion towards us, that your love goes from everlasting to everlasting, and that we are adopted into your family as your children. And we thank you that there's nothing that that we have done to merit it, but all of what Christ has done for us, that we can become your children. And so help us, Lord, to, to live as your children, to live obediently as your people, to live who people who, who love your word, who pray, who are dependent upon you in prayer each moment of the day. And forgive us, Lord, for the times that that we don't like or love your word. Forgive us for the times that we just look to our own wisdom. Help us, Lord, to be people who, who are dependent, dependent on you, Lord, in everything. That we would be a people of prayer uh, each moment of the day, that we would cast our worries onto you, that we would look to you for strength, for help, for wisdom, for direction. Help us, Lord, to, to be that people and not to be reliant on ourselves. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can do that because of all that you have done for us. We thank you for your your amazing grace, for your goodness, your kindness, and your love towards us. And Father, we lift up those uh, who are doing your work in the nations. Uh, we do pray, Lord, for Pastor Julian. And we thank you, Lord, for the Amazing uh, progress in the sports center and, and the conference room there. We pray that you would be blessing that work as he seeks to reach out to the young people, but also to uh, some uh, police cadets as well, ministering to them. We pray for, the, for the, the work there in Romania as they minister to the local people and to the Ukrainian refugees coming in. We thank you for Steve and Matilda. We thank you for their, their time uh, in Canada, and we thank you for their time to be able to see family in Tulsa. And we pray that you would continue to, to bless them, to give them a time of uh, rich uh, fellowship, encouragement, uh, to be refreshed, Lord, in their time away. And we thank you for Steve as he continues to progress in uh, typesetting and continuing to uh, use uh, your words and advance it to the nations through translation of it. We pray for John and Abby, Lord. We thank you for them. We pray that you would bless them in this new season uh, of life in Nigeria. We thank you that they were able to return safely to Nigeria, and we give you thanks for that. We pray that you would bless them as they continue to minister at the seminary there. 
And we pray, Lord, for uh, a spirit of generosity from us that we would be keen to, to support the ministry uh, as they raise funds for uh, batteries to uh, help solar panels function for the use of uh, clean water. We pray as well for, for Dave Green, and we thank you for his uh, response to your call on his life. And we pray, Lord, for the next steps as he goes to uh, to prepare for a mission. And we pray that you would help him in those steps. And we thank you, Lord, for the way in which you have brought him from death to life, that you have just uh, poured fuel on the fire of his passion for you, and that all things uh, are from you. And so we, we thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done in his life. And we pray that you would bless him, Lord, in each step that he takes as he seeks to advance your kingdom to the nations. And closer to home, Father, we pray for our church family here. We look forward, uh, many look forward to Keswick next week, uh, a week away of teaching and fellowship. We pray that would be a, a rich time of just uh, being refreshed and recharged as we sit under your word and enjoy time with other Christians from all over the country. And Lord, we do pray for uh, recovery of, of people who are struggling at the moment. We pray for for Helen Slaymaker, her recovery from her knee operation. We pray for Jen Smith as well, who's had to go back into hospital. And we pray, Lord, for wisdom uh, for the medics there and for decisions to be made. Father, we pray for those who are struggling at the moment, struggling with various things, whether it be long COVID, whether it be other illnesses or, or issues, Lord. We pray that you would be with them. Lord, we, we take a moment now just to lift up those on our hearts that are weighing us, that are weighed on our hearts. We pray that you would give us just this moment to, to lift them to you. Father, as we come to your word now, we do pray that, as Vicky reads, that, uh, that we would hear your voice as we hear your word read. And we pray for Neil as he preaches. May he do so powerfully and clearly that we would not just be listeners of your word, but be doers of your word, that we would respond in faith to it, that it would transform our lives, that we would live more and more for your glory. This we ask in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, everyone. So this morning we'll be reading from Hosea chapter 11. Uh, If you have one of the Blue Church Bibles, you can find that on page 908. Just before we do that, just for some context. So, so far in Hosea, we've seen how God's people, Israel, have been unfaithful to their covenant with the Lord. And this is described as spiritual adultery. And last week we heard that Israel was called to genuine repentance to turn back to the Lord and live wholeheartedly for him. So in today's reading, we'll hear of how the Lord is a loving father and a just judge. So from Hosea, verse 1 of Hosea, chapter 11. God's love for Israel. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the bowels and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek and I bent down to feed them. 
Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Admar? How can I make you like Zeboyim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, Israel with deceit, and Judah is unruly against God, even against the faithful Holy One. Amen. Thanks, Vicky. I think before you sit down, I think we have to have you two up, don't we? We have to pray for you. Come on on this special day um, and congratulate you. Come on, both of you. Let's pray for them, shall we? Father God, we do thank you, Professor Colin and Vicky. Thank you for the, the faith they each have in you, their desire to walk with you and serve you. Uh, and we thank you for bringing them together. We thank you for this uh, engagement they've entered into. Uh, and we pray for them now over these uh, coming uh, months as they prepare for, uh, for marriage. And um, we pray you to help them to uh, get to know you, get to know them each better and get to know you better and that you'll be the center of uh, this time of engagement. Uh, help them prepare for marriage, for that time of life together um, under your blessing. Bless them, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just pray as we come to God's word. We read in chapter 10, it says, Sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Father, we come to seek you now in your word. We pray that uh, you would speak to us that you would indeed shower your righteousness on us and that we would reap the fruit of unfailing love. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if any of you have seen the uh, recent Danish film um, come out called The Bombardment, uh, set in the Second World War in Copenhagen, which was occupied by the, the Nazis. And in one of the scenes we see uh, a Danish uh, family where there's clearly been a breakdown in the relationship between the father and the son. And we soon realize that the reason for that is that his son has been working for the Germans. He's been present in the Gestapo headquarters, where some of the Danish resistance have been interrogated and tortured. And it's true that many Danish did uh, collaborate with the Nazis, and after the war were, were tried and um, some executed for, for treason. But just imagine for a moment, and this is not part of the film, but just imagine for a moment that that father is also a judge. 
And at the end of the war, he has to decide the fate of those collaborators who have caused the death of their countrymen. One of the accused who appears before him is his son. Imagine his feelings. On the one hand, revulsion at the crimes he has committed. But on the other hand, a real love for the one who is his son. That's something of the dilemma that God feels towards his people that comes through the book of Hosea. He's a holy, just God who hates sin, but also a loving God who has compassion for his people. And so we're left with the question, will the destiny of his people be decided by God's justice or by his love? How does he bring the two together? Well, up to now in the book of Hosea, we've looked at the relationship between God and his people as a marriage with an adulterous wife. But in the section we're looking at this morning, we have a different image, and that's of a father and a wayward son. The main theme of the book is God's amazing love and faithfulness towards his people who are rebellious and unfaithful. By telling Hosea to marry a promiscuous woman, God was portraying to his people what it's like for him to be married to a promiscuous nation that loves other gods. And as we've seen, this is a, not just a message of God's people then, it's a message for us today. We've seen how sin is not just about breaking rules, it's about being unfaithful in a relationship with God by loving and treasuring other things or people more than God. Being unwilling to acknowledge that God is the one who made us, who provides us with all the good things that we enjoy in life. Well, chapter 4 to uh, 14 to the end of Hosea contains three similar cycles. Um, we looked at one of those already. It's a cycle of accusation, followed by judgment, followed by restoration. And last week we saw how the, the accusation made against Israel was that there was no love, no faithfulness, no acknowledgement of God in the land. An accusation which could be very easily leveled against our country, but which could also be leveled against us as individuals. None of us is innocent. As we saw last week, the good news is that change for any one of us is possible. But what genuine repentance looks like is, first of all, to accept our guilt. Secondly, to turn to God and ask him to change us because we can't change ourselves in our own strength. And to live in his presence and acknowledge him as God in our lives. Well, we finished last week in verse 6 of chapter 6, um, which describes what God is really looking for. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. What God was saying is that I'm more interested in your hearts, in your steadfast love for me, than in all of your religious practices. And as we go into chapter 7, we're we're left wondering, will Israel demonstrate genuine repentance? Will Israel ask God to change her? Well, the answer, sadly, is no. And we'll come back to chapter 7 to 10. But we're we're going to focus most of our time in chapter 11, which has some of the most wonderful verses in the Bible. Because it gives us an insight into the heart of God. His love for his people his hatred of sin, but how that leads not into his cutting them off forever, 
but opening up his heart of compassion. One of the most common descriptions of God in the Bible is this one of himself. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. So what we're going to look at this morning is um, how God loves his children as a father, but is compelled to punish as a just judge, and yet demonstrates compassion. So start with the first of those. God loves his children as a father. It's difficult to fully comprehend the love of God. And so to use an illustration of human love can be quite powerful. We've seen the husband-wife analogy, and now we see different aspects of God's love in the father-son relationship. And there's a few of them that come up in these first four verses of chapter 11. First of all, that our loving father calls us to be his children. It says in verse 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. When Israel was a child, it's like a a parent getting a photo album out and looking back, thinking to those uh, good old days when their child was young and innocent before they became disobedient. God chose to love certain people. He called them to be members of his family. He chose Israel, we are told, not because uh, there was anything special or lovable about Israel as a particular nation, but because he's a loving God. And he expressed his love in rescuing them from, from slavery in, in Egypt. From there, he took them into the, the wilderness uh, where he entered into that uh, type of marriage covenant or, or contract with them. He gave them instructions for how to live in their, their new home in Canaan and then brought them into the promised land. It was there that he gave them their identity as his son. And if we're believers today, um, we are part of God's chosen people. We read that in 1 Peter, don't we? These are the words from 1 Peter. It says there, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's a wonderful privilege, isn't it? And it's not because of anything we have done to deserve it, but it's because of God's mercy. We're going back to chapter 11, verse 2, shows how quickly it starts to go wrong. It says, but the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. But like a loving parent, God does not give up on his son. Our loving father calls us to be his children. And secondly, our loving father teaches us. Verse 3, it says, um, he remembers again those early days. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. I'm sure parents here will remember how excited you were by the, the first steps your children took. That might be a long time ago for some, might be quite recently for, for others. But how you encouraged them, how you were there to, to catch them as, as they fell. Well, this is not so much here a physical walking, but a spiritual walking with God. God taught his people how to live, how to enjoy a relationship with him. 
as those were young in their faith, he, he helped them to, to take those first steps. Our loving Father teaches us. Our loving Father heals us. Carries on, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. Young children don't know all that uh, their, their parents do for them. We don't know all that God does for us out of his love for us. God heals us physically. He removes the fear of sickness because we believe that he is sovereignly in control of our health. When Jesus came, he lovingly healed the blind, the deaf, the dumb, the lame, the lepers, the the demon-possessed. None of those deserve to be healed. Not all of them were, were grateful. But through his healing, he demonstrated his glory and his love for humankind. More important than healing us physically he came to heal us spiritually he came to save us from the penalty of sin he continues to save us from the power of sin and he will save us completely from the presence of sin when he comes again one day fourthly our loving father leads and guides us verse 4 I led them with cords of human kindness with ties of love God's word is a gift of love. It reveals himself to us, helps us know how to live a life pleasing to him and full of joy to us. God guides us. And the words of the great hymn as pilgrims through this barren land. As Christians, we are foreigners and exiles, but he leads us through the trials and temptations of this life into the glory of heaven, our eternal home. The cords are not those of an abusive parent, but one who is faithful and will not allow anything to separate us from his love, not even death itself. And finally, our loving Father feeds us and protects us. Verse 4, to them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Lifting a child to the cheek conveys that sense of strength and loving protection that makes a child feel secure. It also indicates a sense of intimacy and and closeness. God fed his people in the desert for, for 40 years with quail and manna each day. And bending down to feed us expresses how God comes down to us on our level to feed us and meet all of our daily needs. He is concerned for every issue we have. As a church this year, we have focused on grasping more fully the love of God for us so that we might express that love to others, our fellow believers and those who don't yet know Christ. Do you see his love? Do you see it in the fact that you've been chosen as one of his children, that he has saved you? Do you see his love at work every day of your lives as he guides you, as he protects you, as he provides for you? How often do you just stop and thank him for his love? Our verse for the year is a prayer that we would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for us. These are wonderful verses, aren't they? Demonstrating God's love. But then the memories fade away as the current 
situation of Israel's rebelliousness comes back into focus. And we're reminded that he is compelled to punish us as a just judge. Look at verse 5. It says, will they not return to Egypt? Will not Assyria rule over them? Because they refuse to repent. A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. Israel is the place where they were slaves for over 400 years before God rescued them and brought them into the the promised land of milk and honey. And now God is threatening to send them back or to send them into exile in Assyria, which is where they did end up. And when we read of the extent of God's love for his people, it's difficult to understand, isn't it? Why would they reject him? Why would they refuse to repent? But again, that goes back to the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? What about Adam and Eve? When they had so much, why would they reject God and go their own way? And it's also no different from us today, is it? Why would, when we have so much, do we fail to acknowledge that it is God behind all of our blessings? Why do we fail to ask him for, for more? Why do we think we are somehow responsible for what we have or we don't have? That we can somehow be in control of our lives. The Israelites still called God most high, but they were just words. They didn't mean that in their hearts. How often do we claim to, to worship God and yet fail to live out our faith in our lives? God's declaration is, I will by no means exalt them. As we look back on the previous chapters, we can see why. Look at chapter 7 for a, for a moment. And it's just full of their rebellion, isn't it? Um, let's just read through some of these quickly. They practice deceit. Verse 1, their sins engulf them. Verse 2, they are all adulterers. Verse 7, none of them calls on me. Verse 10, Israel's arrogance testifies against him, but despite all this, he does not return to the Lord his God or search for him. Verse 13, I long to redeem them, but they speak about me falsely. They do not cry out to me from their hearts. Verse 15, I trained them. I strengthened their arms, but they plot evil against me. And so punishment is coming their way. Chapter 8 opens with the words, uh, put the trumpet to your lips. The trumpet is used to to warn the people about an approaching military threat, but like an air raid siren, announcing a war that God will allow them to lose, to make them aware of their sin and cause them to return to God. Carries on, an eagle, or more likely a vulture, is over the house of the law because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel cries out to me, oh God, we acknowledge you. But Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. The covenant established that special relationship between Israel and God in which God promised to love and provide for his people. His people promised an exclusive loyalty to God. And they've broken it, not just once, but time after time after time. God is good. 
and they have rejected what is good. The warnings of punishment continue into to chapter 9 and 10. Such is the, the depth of offense against God. And as we come into chapter 10, we see how he longs to bless them with love and righteousness if they would only seek him. Look at verse 12. So sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. But it carries on in verse 13. But you have planted wickedness. You have reaped evil. You have eaten the fruit of deception because you've depended on your own strength and on your many warriors. The roar of battle will rise against your people so that all your fortresses will be devastated. You reap what you sow. The other night in the elders' prayer meeting, we were looking at uh, John 15 and the subject of fruitfulness. And the key, as I'm sure you know, is to remain in the vine. Uh, Not the, the withered vine of Israel described in these chapters, but the true vine, Jesus Christ himself. Apart from me, you can do nothing, we're told. And yet we so often try, don't we? We so often try in the words uh, it says here to depend on our own strength. To think we, we don't really need God all the time, even when we're doing his work. We don't need God either individually as a church. We'll just crack on and do it. Often only the times we turn to him are when we get to the end of our strength. And so our prayers are often dominated by our needs. What is the fruit that God wants us to reap here? It says the fruit of unfailing love, the fruit of righteousness. He wants us to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. But that will only happen if we seek him in prayer, if we ask him to shower his righteousness on us. We do elders' reviews and staff reviews each year. And one of the questions in the self-assessment is, to what extent do you feel you have grown in the fruit of the Spirit? I wonder how you would answer that question. What fruit of the Spirit do you you want to grow in? Do you think you need to grow in? Do you need God's help to grow in? God is a loving Father who longs to, to shower us with righteousness but is compelled to punish us as a just judge. And yet as we return to chapter 11, the next verse is quite a surprise. Because having threatened Israel with punishment, God demonstrates his overwhelming compassion. Have a look at verse 8. It's one of the most moving verses in the Bible in terms of seeing the heart of God. If you read um, last year Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, you'll have... Uh, and you maybe remember this verse. It says this. It says, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. He's saying you deserve to be punished. And yet... I still love you. 
He's like a, a father, a human father who's tried everything, but nothing works. But these are not the words of a human who doesn't know what to do in a difficult situation. They express God's emotional anguish in ways his people will understand. God is not a cold, impersonal force. He's a holy God and a heavenly father who relates to his people in a loving way. He doesn't want to destroy them like he did Adma and Zeboyim, two obscure cities that were destroyed along with Sodom and Gomorrah. And so suddenly he announces in verse 9, I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. God is not like us. He is perfect. He is holy. He's worthy of our worship as we've been singing this morning. In his nature, he cannot tolerate sin. It provokes a a righteous anger, not a a human flying off the handle type of anger when we don't get our own way, but a justified righteous anger at evil and injustice. And when he says that I am God and not a man, the holy one among you, we're expecting him to say, I will come against their cities. But instead he says, I will not come against their cities. I will not carry out my fierce anger. How can he do that? How can he remain true to his holy nature, his need for for justice, while showing compassion to his sinful people? How can he leave those sins unpunished? Well, the answer, of course, is Jesus, isn't it? If God was not willing for his people to to take that punishment, the punishment they deserved, then someone else had to take it for them. That person had to be human to represent humankind. They had to be perfect for that sacrifice to be acceptable, to cover all the sins of the whole of humankind forever. And so Jesus came down from heaven. He humbled himself and became a human being. He was born as a baby to Mary and Joseph, who who obeyed the command of the angel to flee to Egypt to escape Herod. He stayed there until the death of Herod. And then we're told in Matthew's gospel, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. He was quoting this first verse of chapter 11 of Hosea, but referring now not to the people of Israel, but to his true son, Jesus. Jesus came with a mission to die for his people. And this is what he achieved. Romans 3, verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. That word translated sacrifice of atonement is literally a a propitiation, which means a turning aside of wrath 
through the offering of a gift or sacrifice. God's wrath at our sin has been turned aside by the sacrifice of Jesus. And that is how God was able to leave those sins in the Old Testament unpunished because they would one day be dealt with by Jesus Christ on the cross. And that is how God is still able, it says in verse 26, to be just. And here's the great news. He's also the one who justifies, the one who declares innocent those who have faith in Jesus Christ. That is how we're able to know the love of God today. To be forgiven for all our sins, to be accepted as his children by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, if you haven't done that already, then you are in a dangerous position. You are facing God's wrath. So what is holding you back from putting your trust in Jesus Christ and receiving his forgiveness? Don't ignore the warning sound of the trumpet. Chapter 11 ends with God's people returning to him instead of tearing his people to pieces. He will roar like a lion. He'll call his people to follow him and they will return. They will return from the land of their captivity. And we're told they will come trembling, seeing who God really is, the God of the universe to whom we should bow down, but also the God of love who longs to restore them, who longs to bless them as his children. It's a wonderful passage of hope, isn't it? Maybe for those of us who feel we have failed God or we've rejected him for, for too long, it's never too late to turn back to him. Remember God's own description of himself. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Because of Jesus, he will welcome you into his arms. Maybe for those of us who have loved ones who've strayed away from God, have given into temptation, maybe they've led, been led astray, maybe they've made bad choices. God doesn't immediately reject them. He does punish them because he loves them. He wants them to come back to him. But not, God will not give up on the people he loves. And we need to keep on praying that he will have mercy on them as he has had on us. Let's pray that God would open their eyes to see him in all his glory, in all his majesty, in all his mercy, so that they too would come trembling from the west or the east or wherever they are and submit to him and have their lives changed by him. And let's pray for us that we would grow in the fruits of unfailing love and show that love to others as we tell them of the love of God for us. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you that you are a loving Heavenly Father. That you have called us as your children. You've taught us, you've saved us. You continue to lead and guide us. And we are sorry where we have failed you, where we've let you down, where we've rejected you, where we've just tried to do things in our own strength, thinking we somehow know how. 
we know best, we don't need you. We're sorry and we ask for your forgiveness. Lord God, we know we deserve your punishment, but we thank you for your mercy. We thank you that you've shown us your mercy in the cross, in the death of Jesus Christ, who took all of our sins, all of our punishment on himself, that we can be made right with you, that we can enjoy your shower of righteousness, we can produce the fruit of unfailing love. So Lord, help us to sow the right seeds, the seeds of unfailing love, the seeds of righteousness. May your fruit be evident in our lives in all we do and all we say as we display your love to a world that needs to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if, if you have uh, children, please do collect them in the upper room there uh, at the back um, afterwards. Uh, please do stay around for refreshments as well, for tea and coffee, just to be able to, to talk. I'm sure you're probably going to talk to me. Uh, but do talk to other people and do pray for them as well as you hear, as you hear them, uh, hear their stories of what's been happening in their lives as well. Uh, do be praying uh, for, for one another as we seek to live out this wonderful uh, message of love. Uh, pray that we would be people who would be praying for, for those that we have perhaps strayed, who have wandered from the Lord, that we would be praying for them too. Um, so grab myself or grab the person beside you afterwards and please do pray. Uh, let me close with the words uh, from Second Corinthians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.